Okay, grand. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here this morning with you. Thank you, David. And can I just say, Aaron, you know, some people can play instruments and other people can lead worship, and you can lead worship. So uh, thank, thank you for that. And you can play an instrument as well, don't get me wrong here, too. Some people read more into things than they should, you know. With <laughs> it's lovely to be here, it really is. I just want to thank David for the very, very warm welcome uh, to be here with you this morning. We are probably, as a church in open arms, of a similar age to yourselves. Can I just move that slightly? Is that okay? Uh, we kind of started about three and a half years ago. Uh, I was trained 30-odd years ago as a Neelam uh, pastor and worked in Elam churches in England and I was also here in, in Northern Ireland. The name was in the Baptist churches uh, for a while uh, and then we've started Open Arms Church three and a half years ago. Part of that has been because of what we feel God is, is, is doing with, within our lives, myself and my wife and, and our family and the people that God has gathered around us. One of the, one of the biggest challenges, has, I suppose, as a church for us is that we're trying to uh, understand exactly what it is that God wants the church to look like in the 21st century. And a lot of that means that we go back to the first century church and look at it. Uh, and we've, we've kind of been, I suppose, as a church struggling with the, the, the word service. And sometimes when we talk about service in church, we think that means a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service. But what we're kind of thinking of as, as churches is that we believe God doesn't want us just to be a Sunday-only church. He wants the church to be relevant on Monday morning, not locked up and closed. So we're trying to get our, our, our folk to, to think about what it is that God has placed within their lives that, that means that they can, if they can't, maybe some people can lead and play instruments, some people can preach. Most people can't. So, but that doesn't mean that as the body of Christ that we are irrelevant in the church. It means that God has given all of us something to do, and that might be Monday to Saturday. And whatever that is, we're really challenging our folk to think about the word service. So we don't have a Sunday night service because we don't see the point at this moment in time. We really want to see our church folk saying, Look, what, what, what does service mean as the church? So what does it mean on Monday morning for me? What does it look like? So our aim as a church really is, and I know from speaking to David, is that church is more than just Sunday. Church needs to be more than that to really be relevant and reach out into people's lives. So that's kind of the challenge. We, we've been going for three years. Uh, God has really blessed us. It's lovely. To, it, it's interesting to watch what God's doing and, and, and the things that he does. And uh, those words come to mind. My ways are not your ways and your ways are not my ways. And neither are my thoughts your thoughts. Because I think things need to be one way. And God says, I know they're, they're, they look totally different. And it's, it's, it's having that experience and, and seeing what God has been doing with us over these last three years. We've, uh, God has blessed us with a new building that we're hoping to move into later this year. The builders move in just after the July fortnight. And uh, we're up two flights of stairs at the moment, so I'm very envious of you that you have a door that you can walk through. Uh, so those kind of things, we, you might think they're small things, but we feel kind of disconnected from our community because we're two floors up, but God has given us a building now that's on the ground floor. And so we really, just those wee small things mean a lot for us. What, what I want to talk to you about this morning and what God has kind of laid on my heart is part of our journey this year as a church has been in 2018 reclaiming the gospel, reclaiming the fullness of what it means, going back to that 
Sunday night service thing. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever come through church and Sunday night service was always the gospel message. It was when you got preached at and, and, and you brought sinners to the church uh, and, and there was always an appeal at the end because that was the gospel service. And, and, and we've kind of been trying to reclaim the gospel. And what I mean by that is that we've, we've kind of made the gospel all about the cross. And don't get me wrong, I'm not in any way belittling the cross or the work of Calvary in any shape or form. But for me, the gospel is relevant, not just on the day that I got saved, but on every single morning that I wake up. That the work of Calvary means something in my life today, whether I've been on the road for one month or, or saved for 50 years. The work of Calvary is relevant in every single way. So it's, it's reclaiming that fullness of the gospel is what we've really been concentrating on. I know David told me that you've been going through a series on suffering and, and, and those kind of things. And we do the same, but overarching that this year has been this reclaiming of the gospel. So I want to just share a word with you that I shared with our own church a few, few weeks back, maybe a couple of months back. And I really hope that it, it, it means something to you as a church challenges you, encourages you, but also in your individual walk, makes you walk out of here this morning and and think, you know, yeah, there's a difference that needs to take place in in my life. And this gospel means something to me, not just on the day that I got saved, but right now, today, on July 8th, 2018. In our world today, we we have words that you will hear bandied about more and more. The word transparency uh, means a lot to people on accountability. Uh, organizations, government, we you look at our Brexit negotiations at the moment. Uh, it's not enough for us just to be told anymore, this is the law. Uh, society kind of says, well, that may be the law, but why did you come to that decision to make that law? Why does that need to be that way? And so uh, we're asking questions all the time to not just take for granted what is told to us by government, but trying to understand, you know, we need to know more than just X, Y, Z. We need to know A, B, and C. How did you reach that conclusion? Our, our bank accounts have been hacked, and people come before these committees and they say, but it's all right now, we've solved the problem. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And people ask the question, well, how did they become hacked? Why did they become hacked? Can it happen again? So it's not just enough to say that everything's okay. We need to know why. We need to see transparency. And there's this constant call for for transparency and accountability in our society today. And being transparent is really, really difficult. It's really hard. It's much easier to deal with the illusion of being transparent. You know, it's almost like spin doctors in government will say, you know, as long as people think they can trust us, that's okay. Uh, when people are trying to sell us something, as long as they think they can trust us, that's enough. As long as we get their business. So they shine their public front to gain our trust, to get our attention. But then when things go wrong, it's not so good. Because we've been given this shiny front, but then when things go wrong, we see the, the darkness and the, and, we, and the deceit that was behind it. John the Baptist was asked a question near the end of his ministry about Jesus. And the question was this. Look at how 
His fame is growing. How do you feel about that, John? Look at the number of people that are following him and are leaving you. And his answer is one of the most famous quotes in the Bible, and and probably most of us know it. And it's this, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And, And most of us, if we've been saved for any length of time or we've read scriptures, I wonder, have we really taken the time to understand what that actually means in the church today? That, that really profound and, and brilliant statement of John's, he must increase, I must decrease. I want you, if you've got your Bible, I think it's maybe going to appear on the screen, because I'm reading from a really strange version of the Bible called the Holman Christian Standard. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but the Holman Christian Standard, John chapter 3 I'm going to read from verses 22 to 30, and I think it's on the screen for you there as well. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized, since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one that you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. And John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Before we go any further, could we just pray this morning? Father, John the Baptist was a great leader of men. Yet what he understood about Jesus was incredibly profound. Father, for us here this morning in Table Church in Tandragi, in each one of our individual lives, Father, may we too understand the profoundness of that statement. He must increase. I must decrease. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if my style of preaching is similar or or, or different than what you're used to, so bear with me on this. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of over-spiritualize the people in the Bible. We kind of think to ourselves that because they're in the Bible, they must be really spiritual. And we do that, and whenever they do something that is superhumanly spiritual, we go, yeah, of course they do that, because they're in the Bible. I mean, of course they're going to behave like that, and we're not surprised they're in the Bible after all. And then we read another story about their lives, where they do something really, really stupid, and it just doesn't compute. Because you look at it and you think, 
They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't be like that. I mean, they're in the Bible after all. They should be more spiritual than that. And let me give you a couple of examples. Moses, really great leader. You know the story of his birth, uh, how he ended up in the bulrushes and then in the palaces of, of Egypt. A great miracle of, of, of his life to begin with. He becomes a great leader. God speaks to him through the burning bush. He goes and he speaks to, to the Pharaoh and he leads the people out of Egypt towards the promised land into, into the wilderness. He, he divides the waters of the Red Sea. He strikes the rock twice for water. God uses this man in miraculous ways. And we look at the stories of Moses and we think, wow, that's Moses. But of course it's Moses. He's in the Bible. It's going to be like that. And then we get so disappointed with him because there are other times when, when Moses, as a leader, he gets, in Northern Ireland speak, he huffs. Nobody here ever huffs. Nobody, if there's any wives and husbands here, don't look at each other. But he, he, he gets so fed up with these grumbling, moaning, fickle, wandering, complaining people that are surrounding him all the time. And in Northern Ireland speak, he huffs, he gets angry with them. And we think to ourselves, but this is Moses, he shouldn't be like that. And then, and then, and then you become a church leader and you read Moses differently. <laughs> and you begin to see him in a different way. And you think, yeah, Moses, I'm with you there. I, I kind of understand why you're gray around the gills. Because leading people like that will drive you absolutely out of your mind. And, 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 and Moses is understood a little better because you become a leader. It's almost like you understand him better when you walk in his sandals. Anyway, okay. (sighs) Then there's John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I mean, again, his story, we'll look at it very, very shortly. A great man, a great leader. Sometimes we underestimate just how much of an attraction he was. People would have left cities. They heard about this man in the middle of the wilderness, and he was a great preacher. He must have been. People came in their droves from the cities and the towns to listen to John the Baptist. Fantastic sermons that he must, must have preached. He had an amazing lifestyle. He had locusts and honey. Uh, he, he clothed himself in, in, in really, really shabby animal skins and cloths. I mean, people would have talked about this man. I mean, he would have been such a, a man that, that would have drawn such attention. And we think great things of John the Baptist. He's this man. He baptized Jesus. And then near the end of his life, he sends Jesus a message. Are you really the one? And I don't know if you've ever read that passage. Do you ever think to yourself, John, if you just shut your mouth, your legacy would have been so much better. I mean, John, you're near the end of your life. Why did you have to go and ruin it by saying that? Has all this been worthwhile? Is this really the one that I've been preparing and and devoting my whole life to. And then we begin to understand John's life, the miracle of his birth. Zachariah and his wife told Elizabeth, told they would never have children. They were too old. And then one day, Zachariah is in the temple doing what all priests do. And Gabriel, the archangel, appears to him and tells him, Zachariah, you're going to be a dad. And Zachariah, being the great religious, faithful man that he is, replies to Gabriel with, prove it. If you're ever talking to Gabriel, let me give you some advice. Don't ask him to prove anything. Because you know the story. He, he, he doesn't speak for nine months until John is born. 
John grows up and he ends up doing what he does. But we know very little of the birth of John the Baptist right to the point where we see him in the wilderness crying out and Jesus goes to be baptized. Do you ever think that Zachariah had a hand in his life to get him to that point? The one who argued with the archangel would have brought this young boy up to become the man who the prophets had prophesied of many hundreds of years before. Make the path straight, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. See, the wilderness is the place where the world sends you when it's fed up with you. But it's also the place where God takes you when he wants to get your attention. And sometimes in church, we mistake the two. The wilderness is the place that the world sends you when it's fed up with you. But it's also the place that God takes you when he needs to get your full attention. Moses. David. Jesus. All of them spent time in the wilderness. John the Baptist in the wilderness. And because of the way that John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, I believe what was so attractive about John was that Northern Ireland phrase that we use so often, what you saw was what you got. He had locusts. He didn't dress up with any fancy clothes. He didn't make himself out to be something that he wasn't. He was transparent. He was authentic. He was real. And people flocked to him. And our world today is crying out for authenticity, transparency, and they're not seeing it in the church. There's no spin, no illusion. There's no lies. There's no empty promises. Soldiers flocked to John the Baptist. And he told them, don't mistreat the people. And he baptized them. Tax collectors came to John the Baptist. And he said to them, don't rob people. And he baptized them. Religious leaders with their pomp came to John the Baptist. And he told them, you're a brood of snakes and vipers. Political correctness didn't exist when John the Baptist was about. He baptizes Jesus. The heavens open. You know the story. The dove descends and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We see that as a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. But it was also a pivotal moment in the life of John the Baptist. The Gospels then go on to tell us that Jesus started to preach from that moment. And the crowds were so big that followed Jesus. He couldn't even get into the towns that he went to go to, the villages, because he couldn't bring the crowds with him because these crowds were so vast. Yet John stayed in the wilderness and the crowds depleted and John saw this and he was hearing about this all the time and yet John understood near the end of his life and in the ministry that he had finished he said he must increase I must decrease he must increase 
I must decrease. And he says to his disciples, I told you this from the very beginning. My job was always to get you ready for he is coming. And now that he is here, he must increase and I must decrease. See, the tough thing about being a prophet, the tough thing about being the church in Northern Ireland in 2018, the tough thing about being called to speak the truth, the tough tough thing about being authentic and about being truthful and about being transparent about who we are, the tough thing about being a prophet is prophets don't retire, they get killed. Today in Northern Ireland, we have... A world that's changing around us, a culture that's changing around us, a society where the church and its cultures are influencing the church more and more. And when church takes a stand, it gets hit. Same-sex marriage, abortion, all of these things come in. And when the world, when you hold the world accountable, when you tell the world and when the church speaks the truth of God with transparency and with, with authenticity, it doesn't matter what judges say. It doesn't matter how many letters you have after your name. It doesn't matter who appointed you. This is what God said. Deal with it. And when the church speaks like that, it doesn't be celebrated. And you don't live very long. And so John confronted the king about, a, uh, about a, a, an adulterous relationship in his family. John's arrested and he's thrown in prison because he confronted the king. The king's wife demands John's head on a platter. And John's death becomes entertainment in the palace parties. Have you heard our comedians talk about the church? Have you heard how they mock Christians? Have you heard how it's laughter on our TVs talking about the church, the bride of Christ? Are we to be worried about it? Not a bit. Because that's exactly the way it's meant to be. When the church speaks the truth. John feeds from history. And Jesus takes the stage. I really want to get down to the crux of this message this morning. In that one sentence that John left us, in his understanding of the moments of his life that were leading to his last days when he was beheaded, he understood he must increase, I must decrease. Because we read that in the church today and we make the mistake and we think, this is what we think. That, that basically means that the presence of Jesus must increase in my life and my own desires and ambitions, they must decrease. Okay, I think we've got that right. But here's where we mess up. We, we go over here and we begin to work on Simon. These are the problems that I have. These are the, these are the sins that are in my life. I, I, I need to deal with these things. I need to deal with these addictions. I need to deal with these problems that I have that repeat. And these, the, the, these things that keep me back from becoming the person that God wants me to be. And I'm over here trying to sort it all out on my own. And then we say, when I've done that, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get right with Jesus. And I'm going to say, Jesus, here I am. I'm a better person than I was because I've dealt with what was going on in my life. Look again. That's not what John said. He must increase 
I must decrease. I believe there's a reason why he said it like he did. It is not go and make your life ready for Jesus. It's not go and sort out all of your problems and come back to Jesus so that he can use you. We have far too many people in our churches today who are not going deeper with Jesus, who are not doing anything with Jesus because they're trying to deal with everything that's wrong in their lives themselves first. Here's my Moses moment. You forgive me. We have far too many people in our churches who will tell you how badly mom and dad treated them. Oh, where do you see what I'll do for Jesus once I get that sorted out in my life? Well, I have this addiction. Once I've dealt with that addiction, where do you see how much on fire I'm going to be for God? How their health keeps them back? How their kids don't respect them anymore? How they've married the wrong person? How their friends don't understand them? How they've got the worst job in the world and their boss doesn't understand them? And the danger is if you're here this morning and any of those things or other things suddenly come into your mind about your life, the danger is you never ever leave this spot because you're trying to deal with it on your own. And the reality is, and and I say this, it doesn't matter who's at the front of a church or on a TV channel, on the God channel, everybody always has something to deal with in their lives. I have things that I'm dealing with in my life. You will always have something to deal with in your life. And you know, the the problem is that doing this, it feels really religious. When when you're, you're dealing with all of this stuff, it feels really religious and and, you know sometimes you know there are some people that they they haven't been to church unless they feel they they leave really feeling bad pastor that was a great message I feel awful because what, 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 what kind of mentality we have is that the more time I spend over here and the more awful I feel about myself the deeper God's doing a work in my life and we have that kind of mentality and you know the danger? The danger of this is, and, and we, we, we talk about it, and it's a verse that's quoted in our church a lot, if my people will humble themselves. You know the verse. I will hear from heaven. They call on my name, humble themselves, I will heal their land. And the danger is this feels really humble. And we use this as an excuse for humility. That's not what humility is. See, this whole thing that I've talked to you about this morning, about reclaiming the the message of the gospel, you see, the, the gospel that we preach is not that you can fix this. The gospel that we preach, folks, you, you didn't fix it the first time. Too many of us are spending time over here. We're not getting back in relationship with Jesus. He must increase. That's where you start. Not over there. He must increase. You start with worship. Maybe you don't feel like worshiping. Start there anyway. Ever read Habakkuk 3? Go and read it this afternoon. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vine, still I will praise him. Job, what did he say? If he slay me, still I will worship him. 
You see, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude of mind. You start with worship. You start with Bible study. You get to the prayer meeting. You get into that place where you're, you, you're putting Jesus first, where he must increase. And as the Spirit starts to fill your life, as the Spirit starts to work in your life, it flushes all of these things out because there's never any time. There's never any room for anything else. And the Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God needs to do. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we love. You see, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, I dealt with my stuff. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, he washed it all away. Yeah. 21st century TV has given us a, a, a good picture. Some of you are old enough, maybe some of you aren't, to remember the, the Boxing Day tsunami. Maybe you've seen the pictures. They've given us a wonderful picture of, of the power of water and what water can do. You can see, when water starts to flow, nothing stands in its way. It will pull down walls. It will pull down buildings and trees. It will move cars and move boats. And in Revelation chapter 22, John sees a throne. And from that throne flows a river. A river that flows right from the throne room of God, right out to the church, right out to the nations. Do you get the picture? From heaven itself, itself flows a river that flows right from the throne room of God that rushes. It's meant to rush into your life and it's meant to rush into my life. But I'm not standing in the flow if I'm over here trying to deal with my stuff. And we need to get back into the flow of God. And too many people in our churches are over here trying to deal with their stuff. And God says, you weren't meant to fix that. Trust me. Rely on me. Let the Spirit of God do the work. When the Spirit of God starts to work in your life, you know I. Uh, most men have this problem. Ladies, if you don't know this, men think they can fix everything. And we can't. And I find that it's mostly men that have this problem that are over trying to hear to fix things out. Do you know what humility is? And I say we, we go back to Chronicles and we read that verse again. This isn't humility over here. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Humility is standing here saying, Lord, I can't fix this. I need you. That's the difference. <coughs> Guys, girls, you can't fix it. You weren't meant to. And this whole gospel that we, 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 we have this thing in, in our church. We have a bowl at the front of the church and, and we have white stones and, and, and people will come when they're praying for, for individuals, people in their family, and, they, and, and they'll come and they'll put the stone and, and, and the bowl's filled with white stones for people that they're praying for. It's just a visual aid that helps us understand this is why we exist as a church, to pray for these people, to reach them. You know, sometimes, I, and I've said this to our own church, the problem is we can't reach those people because those people look at us and they don't see us standing in the fullness of God. They see us over here trying to fix things that they're also trying to fix. And they don't see a difference. They, they, they see, well, you're dealing and struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with. And really what we need to do is get into the flow on the river of God. So that people, when they look at us, they, they say, there's something different. You see, you're, you've got a different approach to your life. Why is the wheels not falling off your wagon? I said, because I've got God. 
And sometimes I think, we talked about this earlier, sometimes people look at the church and we get annoyed because how can people go through these things in their lives without Jesus? Well, because they're looking at you and you're over here. We, we, we're, we're probably no different than a, of a church than, than, than you are. We pray for revival. I'm sure you pray for revival in Tandrogee. We pray for revival in Portadown and further afield. Can I tell you this? The revival is not going to come through the church until revival comes to the church. He must increase. I must decrease. And humility says, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord. We used to sing an old, old song. People keep me going in our church because I know I'm only 25. <laughs> but I, I, kinda, I, I grew up in, in, in church from I was knee-high to a duck, people say, and I remember all these old songs. It's an old song came back when I was putting this message together. This old song came back. You might know it. A river is flowing from heaven above. A river of mercy, a river of love. Flow down through this nation. Flow far and flow near. Get into the blessing. This river is here. The deaf shall have hearing. The blind folk shall see. The lame shall be loosed from their infirmity and the crooked path straight and the broken made whole. This river is flowing. Are you in the river? He must increase. I must decrease. I don't know most of you, in fact, maybe any of you, I don't know this morning. So I don't know what's going on in your lives. But can I say to you this morning that if you are over here and you're trying to sort things out, maybe now is the time this morning when you say, July 8th, 2018, I've got to get into the river. I've struggled for too long with this over here. First thing you've got to do is get into the river of God. And while you're in the river, he may tell you to do other things. And that's listening for the voice of God in your life. But the church needs to be seen to be different in our world. It needs to be seen to be different. And, and, and the things that... You know, I don't know, David, if you do Facebook. I, I, I see churches doing Facebook all the time. And we're praying for this, that, and the other. And we're pray- you know, sometimes we need to be honest and transparent and say, we were praying for five people and five of them died, but we'll keep on praying. You never see that in Facebook. Because the church is not transparent. We... We advertise miracles and don't perform them. Jesus performed miracles and never advertised them. The church looks so different today from what I believe Jesus wanted it to be. So we need to be transparent. We need to be authentic. We need to, we sang this morning about the sovereignty of God. Can God heal? Yes, he can heal. Does God always heal? No, he doesn't. Let's be transparent. Let's be real. 
Let's be a church. Let's be the people that God has called us to be so that when people look at us, they don't see people dressed in fancy clothes, yet knowing that their lives are falling apart. Let's be like John the Baptist. Let's get into the wilderness. Let's God start to do a work in our lives that makes us put away the masks and become attractive to a world that is crying out for this gospel that we have. If you're here this morning, I want to give you hope this morning because there's things that I've tried to deal with in my life and I have failed miserably over and over and over again. And at the end, I've come back and how many of us have ever done this? We treat Jesus as a last resort. He's not a last resort. He's the first resort. He's the first place that I run to. Read Song of Solomon. I will run to my lover. We sang about him this morning. He died for us even when we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And yet we're over here trying to sort it all out ourselves. And he's standing here saying, I've loved you. I love you this morning. The resurrection power that is imparted to you through the Holy Spirit and your, your salvation can help you in the situation and the problem that you're facing right now in your life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to own it again. We need to understand it again. And we need to be showing the world around us. Yes, we're failures. But the spirit of God in my life means I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Amen. Aaron, bless you.